You're listening to a Catholic Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello and welcome to Form Now. My name is Ben Akers and joining me today is John Seahorn, a professor at the Augustan Institute Graduate School of Theology. Thanks for joining me, John. And today we're going to be talking about the luminous mystery known as the Wedding of Cana. The Luminous Mysteries is a series we're doing. We're doing a Bible study on these five luminous mysteries, these mysteries of light that were given to the church by Pope St. John Paul II. In 2002, he wrote an apostolic letter where he talked about, where he named Rosarium Virginis Maria, the Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And in that letter, he encouraged the church to focus on mysteries of Christ's public ministry. In the Joyful Mysteries, we focus on Jesus's infancy and his early hidden life in Nazareth. And then in the Sorrowful Mysteries, we jump to the mysteries related to Christ's passion and death. And in the Glorious Mysteries, we meditate on the glorious mysteries of Christ's resurrection and the crowning of his mother uh, after assumption into heaven. And there was a, seemed to be a whole, according to St. John Paul II, of the public ministry of Christ, the public ministry of Christ, and he, he pro- proposed five mysteries. In the last study, uh, we talked about the first mystery of light, which is the baptism. And the second mystery of light is known as the wedding of Cana. And that's found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you'd like to get your Bible and follow along, we're going to be talking about the wedding of Cana. John, the first question I have for you is, why do you think this, out of all the things that Jesus does in his public ministry, why does John Paul II pick this one, the wedding of Cana? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Ben. Maybe I should take your advice and open your Bible. to... I did John bring chapter my Bible. Two. It's John chapter 2, John if you're chapter looking for two. it. Yeah. Verses um, 1 to 12. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And, um, you know, if, if, you, if you look at kind of the chronology of Jesus' ministry in, uh, according to the Gospels, uh, what you find is this is actually Jesus' first public miracle. And, uh, and John the evangelist sort of points our attention to it in a special way, especially at the end of it. And this is a verse that we'll, we'll talk about a bit more later on. But if, if you look just at the end of the, of the story in verse 11, uh, St. John writes, this, the first of his signs, right? So there's that, that, that important sort of inaugural character of this miracle. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, hmm. manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him, right? And, and this sort of kicks off uh, Jesus's self-manifestation uh, that we'll continue to read about in John's gospel, coming to culmination, of course, in his paschal mystery, in, in his, uh, his death for our salvation, his resurrection. So if, we, if our reader is not familiar with the, this story, and hopefully they will when they get their Bible and follow along, can you give us the details just generally what, what happens in this story? Yeah, so um, we're actually get, not given a lot of the details we wish we had. Uh, in fact, if you're interested in archaeology and so forth, we're not even exactly sure where Cana is. There are hmm. a couple of different, um, a, a couple of different candidates uh, for where ancient Cana is. It's somewhere uh, in Galilee. It's not that far from uh, Nazareth, where Jesus grows up, uh, or really from Capernaum, where he's going to um, sort of set up when he enters his his public ministry. But uh, he goes to a wedding there. We don't know whose wedding. 
but John wants us to know that his disciples are with him and also that his mother uh, is with him. And this mm. again will become important. Um, so what happens is, I mean, the, you know, the, anybody who's been to a wedding reception knows what a big deal uh, that is, the big party celebrating um, the, 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 the bride and the groom who've joined their lives together um, and wanna celebrate with their, their family and friends. And in this case, something really embarrassing happens which is that they run out of wine. Okay, so it's not the apostles dancing in some weird way at the dance floor. It's actually, it's not, the wine runs out. <laughs> the, wine, the wine runs out, that's right, that's right. And, uh, and so uh, it, sort of in response to this, <clears throat> Mary draws Jesus' attention to the fact that, that they're out of wine. Jesus sort of seems to almost rebuff her, like kind of like say, what are you talking about? Hmm. Uh, but then nonetheless, he responds by performing this miracle where he changes water, not just into enough wine for the party, but into an absolutely gigantic amount of wine, a super abundance of wine. Um, and then when, uh, when, when the master of the feast, is the, the way it's translated here in the, the English Standard Version, Catholic edition, uh, tasted it, he didn't know where it came from, but he said to the bridegroom, wow, this is, this is even better than the original wine, and, and he, he kind of suggests that usually people give people, uh, you know, people would provide the good wine first, and then when when people had had a few glasses, then they would give them uh, the bad wine they wouldn't notice, right? And so that's that's sort of the mysterious ending uh, of of this story. Other than John's remark that in doing this, Jesus has manifested his glory. Hmm. So let's 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 unpack that. But what does it mean to manifest the glory? But I'm, having, I'm guessing that there's something to do. If this is Jesus' first public ministry, it comes in the context of John 2. So Jesus has gathered all the disciples, but this is the first time we see them kind of all together hanging out. Or at least with, some of them, yeah. With some of them, with Mary, his mother. Mm -hmm. Are there any Old Testament echoes here? Because often when I read the New Testament, I know that there's usually some illusion that I'm getting or not getting in the story. Yeah, there are several. Um, you know, a really interesting one, since you asked about the manifestation of of Jesus' glory is, um, is back in Exodus. So you can stick your finger there in John 2 and turn back to Exodus chapter 19. And, um, and this is a really important scene uh, in the Old Testament, right? This, this comes uh, sort of uh, at the end of God's work of rescuing Israel uh, from Egypt. They've come out of Egypt. Uh, in the Exodus, they've crossed the Red Sea. Um, God has begun to provide uh, uh, both manna and water, food and water for them in the desert. He's protecting them from the attacks of enemies. And now they've come to Mount Sinai, right? Which if you go back to Exodus three, when God first calls Moses, you know, bush, is actually, yeah. that's, that's the point is to come and worship him at Mount Sinai. So, Jesus, so God has delivered on his promise to Moses. That's exactly right. And so, um, and we can see what an important moment this is. If we just look at, um, what God says to the Israelites. I'll start in verse four really quick. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, right? Those who had oppressed Israel, held them in slavery, held them in bondage, prevented them from uh, living in the freedom of the children of, uh, of God, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so this is a, this is a decisive moment 
in God's relationship with Israel. He has saved them, but he doesn't just save them and say, okay, now go on and, mm -hmm. and live your lives. He wants a special relationship with Israel. And if, if we look later at, at the writings of some of the prophets in Hosea chapter 2 and Ezekiel chapter 16, what we find is that this scene of God bringing Israel into the desert uh, ends up being seen as an espousal. As a marriage. Uh, interesting. Okay, right? so, this so is you the can start to see, right? Sure. You can start to see the connections. But there's a big if there. Seems like a conditional clause. These things there will is. happen if you do this. There is. And so, well, let's keep reading, Ben. Uh, verse 7, right? Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, if you if you have gotten your Bible out, uh, and, and looked at John chapter 2, you'll notice that um, that, that line, Israel's promise there to do uh, all that the Lord has spoken, is echoed by our Blessed Lady. Mm. So she, she points out to Jesus that they're out of wine. Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? We can, we can come back to that, right? Mm -hmm. My hour has not yet come. But then notice what Mary says in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so we hear Mary sort of echoing this promise that we know that Israel didn't always keep oh, of doing whatever, yeah. whatever God taught. But now we hear Mary uh, telling the servants and, and really telling us, do whatever Jesus tells you. That's fascinating. That's, that's a beautiful connection. So Mary is representative here of Israel in some way? Yeah, I think um, Mary, and, and this is something that actually that uh, especially Luke and John both show us in different ways, is that uh, Mary really represents faithful Israel, right? Um, you know, it's, it is important to remember Israel's chronic failures across the history of the Old Testament. Certainly the sacred writers don't hide them from us. But it's also important to remember um, that God always preserved a faithful remnant. And it's so important to look back and, and, um, and actually, I mean, the, in, in Catholic tradition, um, we, we've, we've largely lost it, but there's a, there's a, there's a deep and ancient tradition of venerating uh, the saints of the Old Testament, our fathers and mothers in the faith. And we can see Mary sort of standing at the culmination of all of these faithful patriarchs and prophets and prophetesses, um, all these, these amazing men and women in the Old Testament. So yeah, she sort of speaks on behalf of Israel here. That's beautiful. Is there anything, any other echoes of the John story that would, would, would point us to Mary and Israel's connection? Yeah, I think so. Um, especially, uh, you know, when you, when you keep going, well, you know, what's going to happen now? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the Israelites say, yeah, we're ready for this. We're going to do whatever God says. And then what happens, um, Moses starts giving them instructions for God to show up and speak to them. And, and um, he tells them in verse 11, be ready for the third day. Mm. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then if you continue reading uh, to verse 16, you see on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled, hmm. right? So once again, you can see echoes in because, John chapter 2. Because the wedding of Cana starts, the story begins on John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day. On the third day. Oh, interesting. Right? Illusion, yeah. And then just as uh, um, God manifests, reveals his glory, right, in this spectacular way at Mount Sinai to his people, John says that maybe in a subtler way, but in a no less real way, Jesus manifests his glory 
to the disciples at Cana. That's beautiful. So this, okay, this is, there's a lot here in this, what looked like, what looked just like a regular wedding party that Mm -hmm. Jesus and his mother were invited to. There's a lot more going on in the scene. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Is there anything else in Exodus 19? Because I have a question about Jesus calling his mother woman. Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> what, why, why is he calling his, mo- his mother wo- <laughs> woman? Uh, that's not, this, you know, when I'm reading the Old Testament, that I don't see, you know, prefigurements of this, or it doesn't seem regular, you know, like a regular occurrence. And then if I think back to my own life and I call my own mother woman, uh, I don't think it would have gone don't too well. No, don't do it. So how do I, do, what, what's going on in this part of the story? Don't do it. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back here for a moment to, to chapter two, uh, verse four. Okay. Um, so Jesus, first of all, as you, as you notice, doesn't say mom, mm-hmm. he calls her woman, right? Which, which might at first seem to be disrespectful and, and could be, you could read it that way if you sort of read it in isolation. And then he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, um, I actually think it's important not to like soften the blow too mm-hmm. much here, right? This is actually kind of a pattern in how we see Jesus speaking to his immaculate mother, who's been set apart from all eternity by God, predestined to be the mother of God and therefore to be the mother of the whole body of Christ, to be the mother of the church. And one of the things that we see really in all four gospels and how Jesus talks about his mother and talks to his mother is not just him patting her on the head and saying, congratulations, you're, you're immaculate. Yeah, and you're, my, you're the best model you're, disciple. You're the greatest, and... right? Um, I mean, it's, it, it, in a way, it reminds me of what Hebrews chapter 12 says about the way that God disciplines all of us, that like a good father, God disciplines the sons that he loves, right? In order, not, not just to punish them, right? But to train them, to prepare them to fulfill their vocation as the sons of the father. And in the same way, we see Jesus here uh, teaching Mary, uh, uh, drawing Mary along in her own participation in his mission, right? Mm-hmm. And so notice what he says here. He says, my hour has not yet come, right? Well, what does that imply? If, if, if Mary has said, uh, hey, Jesus, maybe you could provide some more wine for them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, hold on, my hour hasn't come. It suggests that when his hour does come, he'll be providing wine, mm. right? So, and an hour does seem to be, you know, my reading of John's gospel, hour comes up pretty regularly in the gospel. It does. He says, it's not here yet. It's not here yet. And in a key moment, he says, yes, my hour is here. Right. So what is his hour? His hour? Just, I, I won't keep you in suspense, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get to that part of John's it's, gospel yet? It's the crucifixion. Okay. It's the crucifixion. So it's the passion. It's, it's the, the crucifixion. Passion. And so it's, it's fascinating if, if you want to turn forward for a minute to, uh, to that part of the story, the crucifixion. We're going uh, to John 19. In John chapter 19, right, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's going to say to his mother and to the disciple whom he loves, this is, this is verse 26, they're standing by and he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. You see that title again because you see Jesus is, is drawing our attention to the fact that Mary's motherhood uh, um, of Jesus is not just this private thing, right? Mary's motherhood of Jesus calls her to be the new Eve, Mm. to be the new mother of all the living, those who are living now, not just a natural life, but the supernatural life that our Lord offers us. And so actually, if we understand it in the context of all of scripture, this is a great honor when he calls her woman. And notice what he says then, woman, behold your son. Then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. 
right? So calling her woman, identifying her as the new Eve is one of the ways that Jesus is pointing out to us that she is all of our mother if we belong to him as members of his body. And then if we keep reading in John chapter 19, we'll see in verse 34 that after Jesus dies, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. And this, of course, symbolizes what we receive in the Holy Eucharist, right? When the Lord gives, gives us his blood as wine, hmm. as the wine of the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? And as this beautiful sign uh, and, and reality of his closeness to us. <laughs> that's incredible. That's a lot for us to, to chew on and meditate it really is. on. <laughs> what, that's a beautiful reflection. So uh, just to summarize then, so you're saying that the, when Jesus promises new wine, that there will be a wine at this hour that he's talking about. The hour is the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And the wine that flows from his side is his blood. Mm -hmm. And then we receive that in the Eucharist. It's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot to put together. Yeah. And you know, one other thought as you, as you uh, pray with this mystery, pray mm -hmm. the rosary and contemplate the mysteries of our Lord with Our Lady is, is to think about how this applies to us. And the fact that the Lord didn't just teach this to us, he showed it to us mm -hmm. in the context of a real marriage of real people and they're not named. Mm. And, and I think it's actually important for those of us who are called to marriage to see ourselves in there and to see that the Lord wants to manifest his glory in our marriages as well. And mm. to take the kind of water of our human nature, um, just you know what, what we've got and infuse it with, with his love, with his grace and, and bring it into that mystery of the wine that he provides. That's beautiful. And for married couples to draw that strength to turn the water to the wine through his gift of his Eucharist. Absolutely. So praying together at mass, going to Eucharistic adoration. Together. And learning to love each other uh, as Christ loved the church mm. and gave himself for her, mm. right? As St. Paul says in Ephesians. Thank you, John, for joining us and reflecting on this wonderful mystery of light, the wedding of Cana. And as we're going through this Bible study on the luminous mysteries, and as you've gone through the Bible studies with us on Formed, you see there are so many echoes to the Old Testament, so many allusions to these wonderful stories. So it's important to know the story of salvation history and to know that Jesus takes those stories and fulfills them and in ways that we can't even anticipate. And we just, that, that are marveling and we could spend so much more time on this scene. But the reason we're doing this Bible study is so you can take this mystery and get a little taste of what you can meditate on during this wonderful uh, you know, Thursdays uh, of meditating on the luminous mysteries. Pope St. John Paul II said this about this mystery. When Christ changes water into wine and opens the hearts of the disciples to faith, it's due to the intervention of Mary, the first among the believers. So we turn to Mary in this mystery of the rosary, and we thank her and we join her in meditating on the mystery of Christ's life. Thank you for joining us. You can watch this Bible study in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.